So here we are, and we are making our trek through the Gospel of Mark. And as you can see, we're, we're coming close to the end. And, you know, I just want to say this in um, just beginning today, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do directly with the message, but I'm just really fired up and excited and thrilled about God's word and, and just about teaching the scripture. And, you know, you know, as a, as a pastor who has been doing this for, you know, almost 40 years, um, you know, some people might think, well, you've done this for so long. I mean, is there a point where you kind of lose interest or you kind of, uh, you know, you feel like you, you've said it all, you've done it all. And, you know, the answer to that question is no. Um, God, God's word is fresh and it's new and it's powerful. And, um, he's always revealing new things to us. And, and it's so great as, as that happens. And, you know, as I look at, as I look at the world, as I look at the church, I just think, man, this is the best thing going. This is, you know, this is what the church is called to do, of course, is to proclaim the gospel, to teach people, uh, as Jesus said, to go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them uh, to observe everything that I've taught you. And, and that's what we're doing as we open the scriptures, whether it's here on Sunday or are through the Bible on Wednesday or the many other uh, teaching opportunities, the, the community groups, whatever, you know, everything's revolving around God's word because we believe in the power and the authority of the scriptures. And we believe that it's through God's word that he changes us. He brings life transformation. And, and that is such a wonderful thing. And so it's a blessing to be able to open the scriptures uh, every time we gather and once again here this morning. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look specifically, now we've read through this, this passage, but we're not going to look at every detail of the passage. Um, but I want to look at mainly one thing, but kind of, you know, in a sense, there's two things, but I, I want to look at, first of all, the Passover. And then I want to look at what we commonly call the Last Supper. So we call this, um, you know, the Last Supper, it's not really called that in the scripture, but it's the, it's the supper that Jesus had with his disciples uh, before he suffered. But what we need to realize is it's not just any meal, it is the Passover meal. So there's so much significance here. And um, it wasn't just simply that Jesus knew that he was going to leave and this was the last time to really engage with his disciples closely. So let's have a meal together. It was something way deeper than that. Now, unless a person, I was thinking about this, unless a person, um, someone today has a fair knowledge of scripture, they might only know Passover as a Jewish holiday. Now, if you have Jewish friends uh, or, you know, if you've ever been in or around anything Jewish, you know that um, about the time that Christians are celebrating Easter, Jewish people are celebrating Passover. And yet I think most people in the culture, 
that's all they would know about it. I know before I was a Christian, I remember I dated a Jewish girl and they had Hanukkah and they had Passover and I didn't know what in the world any of that meant. Um, it happened around Christmas and around Easter, but I, I, did, I didn't know. So I, th- I think most of the culture is there. But Passover is not simply a holiday. And you know, the word holiday actually just is derived from holy day, uh, but, it, but it actually was a holy day. It was a holy uh, festival. And so we first of all need to just remember what Passover is, or maybe for the first time understand what it is. So what is the Passover? Well, the Passover was the final act of God in delivering the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. So remember, Israel was there. They were 400 years in bondage. And then God sends them Moses to deliver them. The culmination of 10 plagues that God used to break the power of Egypt and set Israel free was the death of all the firstborn in the land. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat upon his throne to the firstborn of the lowliest servant and even the firstborn animals. And so on on this particular night, this culmination of the 10 plagues, God would pass through the land of Egypt in judgment and all the firstborn in the land would die unless. Unless what? Unless that household had taken a lamb and slain it, placing its blood over the doorpost of the house and then entering the house and remaining there that night. As the angel of judgment passed through the land, when he saw the blood over the house, he would pass over. That's the word. He would pass over that house and spare the firstborn. So that, that's where this whole thing uh, originated. So the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples were having was to commemorate that. And of course, God had commanded Israel that from that night in Egypt, when they celebrated the Passover, they were to do that every year throughout their entire history. And they were to, um, they were to do it on a specific day, the 14th day of Nisan. That was the day. And then uh, the, the day, the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were accompanied. So the Passover began on the 14th and the following day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So as we read in the New Testament about this, sometimes the terms are used interchangeably. Uh, sometimes it just says Passover, but it includes the Unleavened Bread Feast as well. Sometimes it just says the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's talking about the Passover because they were inseparable. And so here they are and they're gathered together in this commemorative event, but it wasn't just to commemorate a past event. It was pointing to a future event that had now come. Jesus the Lamb of God was to shed his blood for the sins of the world so that anyone who would come under that blood would be freed from the judgment of God against sin and delivered from the bondage of sin and death. That is why when this moment had finally come, 
Jesus said, and Luke records it this way, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. This Passover. This was the Passover that all previous Passovers were pointing to. And so this is the moment. And remember when Jesus first began his ministry and John the Baptist was still ministering and there were those that were following John. They were thinking he was maybe the Messiah, but they were looking for the Messiah. And remember John's words. He said, when, as he saw Jesus walking along the banks of the Jordan, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see that lamb that was slain in Egypt, that Passover lamb was ultimately pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God. And so this is the Passover meal. Jesus says, I have longed to eat this Passover meal with you. And so this Passover was the substance of which the first had only been the shadow. It was its fulfillment. And so now we're gonna pick up in verse 22. And so as they were there, we read uh, in the, the passage about the preparation that was made um, <clears throat> for the meal and so forth, the prearranged room and, and the disciples going and preparing for the day. We also read the, the tragic um, uh, situation with, with Judas. You know, so this, the Passover, of course, was a joyous occasion but man, can you imagine, you know, they're there in this joyous environment and all of a sudden Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. So there, there's, a, there's a heaviness that comes upon this whole thing. But now Jesus, moving beyond that, um, as they were eating the Passover, Jesus does something that had never, never had been done before, obviously. Um, he takes the elements of the Passover meal and he gives new meaning to them. So, I mean, think about it. The Passover was specifically given by God to Israel and the, and the details of how it was to be um, observed were very specific. And now Jesus is taking those and he is giving new meaning. So listen to what he says. He says, or it says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Wow. This is my body. Now, there was an interesting component here and it has to do with the feast of unleavened bread. So, God says to Israel that they are to bake bread, but they are to uh, not put any leaven in it. Now, this is on the night that they're going to leave Egypt. So practically, the reason for that was because, um, of course, when you put leaven in it, you have to wait for it to rise before you can bake it. And, and they have to flee in haste. So <clears throat> there's no leaven that is to be put into the bread. It's to be unleavened bread. But beyond that, as they observe the feast throughout the years, they are still to have unleavened bread. Uh, there's no need. There's no, they're not leaving in haste. They're not fleeing, but they're still to 
um, observe it with unleavened bread. And in preparation for the feast, they were to go through the house and they were to make sure there wasn't an ounce of yeast, uh, yeast in the house. No yeast whatsoever. And then they were to uh, prepare this unleavened bread. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, leaven is mentioned and, it, you know, in some of the sacrifices, uh, the, because they had grain sacrifices, some of them uh, could have leaven and some others were not to have leaven. But this becomes an interesting picture. It's never stated specifically in the Old Testament that leaven represents sin, but it does. And we know this from the New Testament commentary because Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he talks about that very thing. He makes the connection that the, that the Old Testament never spelled out, uh, but, but he makes the connection. But here's the point that I want us to see. And again, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier, just about the, the glory of the scripture and the wonder of the scripture. See, nobody really knew exactly why the bread had to be unleavened. But right now, we understand why it had to be unleavened. Because Jesus said, this bread is my body. Jesus was sinless. And so had the bread not been unleavened, it could not have represented the body of Jesus. But think of it, all of those hundreds of years before, so about approximately 1,400 years between uh, the original Passover and this now um, final Passover meal. And, and all of that time, as God instituted this, it was all about this moment when Jesus would take that bread and break it and say, this is my body. This is my body and we know from the other gospel accounts, this is my body that is broken for you. Broken for you. And so it was, Jesus is now speaking about the reality of what's coming. Remember, at this point, the disciples themselves still don't fully understand what's happening. They, they still, it still hasn't really sunk down into their ears that Jesus is going to die that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to basically have his body broken through the scourgings and the beatings and finally through the crucifixion. They, they really don't understand that still. Remember, we talked about Mary. Mary seemed to get it. That's why she was anointing the feet of Jesus uh, or anointing his head for, for his burial, he said. But the others didn't get it. But this is what the Lord had said would be the case that he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities and by his stripes, we would be healed. And so now Jesus takes this and he takes that unleavened bread. He says, this is my body. Now, secondly, it says that then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Now, as time went on throughout the centuries, um, there were certain traditions that developed around the Passover meal, traditions that were not 
part of the original instruction, but nevertheless, they were fine traditions. And one of the things that developed was that they, they would, um, and they do this today. If you go to a modern Seder feast, which is the term for a Passover today, if you're with a Jewish family and you go, um, you will see that there are a number of cups that are um, drunk throughout the, throughout the course of, of the meal. And one of them, the third cup, is called the cup of redemption. Now, people believe that this tradition predated Jesus. So the tradition that the Jews follow today in the Seder feast would be really like they would have done at the time of Christ. So here's the interesting thing, because if you read Matthew's account, you have Jesus taking a cup and having them drink it. Then he takes the bread and breaks it. Then after supper was ended, he comes back and brings the next cup. Now this in the order would be the cup of redemption. So this cup now is the cup of redemption. But Jesus says, this cup is the the substance in it, obviously. The wine in the cup is my blood, which is shed for many. You see, again, under the Old Testament system, redemption happened through blood. There, There was no redemption apart from blood. Everything revolved around the sacrifice and the reason for the blood is because an innocent victim had to be given in order to redeem or to ransom or to buy back that which was lost. And so when Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant here in this cup, he is now again taking the the normal parts of this ordinance and he's now applying them to himself. So all of those centuries, that cup that they were drinking, that was speaking of the blood that he would come and shed. And then he says that this is the blood of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant. So we we talk about covenants. We we read about covenants. Um, A covenant just to simplify it, is uh, a binding relationship. A marriage is a covenant. So when a man and a woman pledge themselves to one another, they're making a covenant with one another. They're coming into an agreement. And so God had um, made a covenant with the nation of Israel back at the time of Moses. Now, he made a covenant with Abraham that predated that. But the, the covenant, when Jesus says the new covenant, he's contrasting it with the covenant that God made with Moses. So God made a covenant with Moses and with the people. But now Jesus says, I'm, I'm making a new covenant. And 
this is something that even back in the Old Testament period, in the time of the prophets, this is something that God had declared he would do. He would make a new covenant and he would make a new covenant for this reason, because the old covenant was faulty. The old covenant was faulty in that human beings could not live up to it. And since human beings could not live up to it, the relationship that God desired could not really take place. So there has to be a new covenant that's made. And here's the thing about the new covenant. The new covenant, fellowship in the new covenant, which is the whole objective of of the covenant, fellowship is not dependent on human faithfulness. Fellowship is dependent on God's faithfulness. And that's what's happening here as Jesus makes this new covenant. And as I said, um, the Lord had prophesied that this new covenant would come. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied about this new covenant. And then the writer of Hebrews in the eighth chapter, when, when the writer is explaining what, what you know, has actually taken place, he quotes... Jeremiah, and let me read it to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Why? Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You see, God says, I'm gonna make a new covenant and I'm gonna do all the work. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to put it in their heart. In other words, the new covenant is not going to be based upon their ability to perform. It's going to be based upon my ability. And so, when Jesus says, this cup is my blood, or this cup, this is, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many That's what he's talking about. And this is so important for us to realize because we tend to, even though we live under the new covenant, we seem to oftentimes function like we're still under the old covenant. What do I mean mean by that? Well, we tend to think that our fellowship with God And God's blessing upon us and our intimacy with him is contingent upon our faithfulness. And it's not. That's just the simple reality. It's not. But we live like it is. And so even though we're in this new covenant, we live like we're still under this performance-based relationship with God and we live half the time wondering if God really loves me. Does God really care? Is he going to help me? I, I've sinned. I'm such a bad person. I don't even know if God really, I mean, how could he? After all, look at who I am. 
What is all of that? That's all performance-based. That's basically all old covenant. But you see, the new covenant says, no, yes, I am a sinner, but Christ has forgiven me. And I am now in Christ. And God sees me in Christ. He sees me as perfected. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, is constantly, continually cleansing me from all sin. And, and so I can, I can live my life in this relationship that God desires, knowing that it's not based upon my uh, perfection that comes from my own efforts, but it's based upon what Jesus did. It's the new covenant. Now, here's the last thing. Jesus and his covenant are commemorated by a meal. Now, this is so interesting. You know, Cheryl was telling me yesterday that um, she remembers one time her mother was teaching and she was talking about this uh, commemorative meal that Jesus instituted. And, and she was saying how, you know, when you think of great people, great men, for example, you know, when people want to uh, memorialize themselves or whatever, you know, they have, a, they have a monument made for them or, you know, there, there's some extravagant thing that will, you know, a building that's named after them or, or a statue or, or something like that. And she said, but isn't it interesting that Jesus, to memorialize himself, he takes the most common thing, something that the people would engage with every single day, bread and wine. And he uses that as the reminder. And I thought, wow, that, that is such a powerful thing. But that's what he does. But the meal is the key thing that I want us to understand here. You see, a meal in the ancient world, now, it's, it's different today in Western culture, uh, at least American culture. I mean, some aspects of Western culture, it's similar to more like the ancient cultures. Or, you know, even the near Middle Eastern cultures today or whatever the case. But a meal in the ancient world was a time of intimate familial communion. You know, it wasn't, well, I was going to say, you know, pop a TV dinner in the oven, but that's so far in the past that most people would either have a hard time remembering or not even know what I'm talking about. So, you know, it's not stick something in the microwave and, you know, we'll all sit in different places of the house in front of our screens and eat. No, in the ancient world, this was the time where you really connected. Now, we have this phenomena today, you know, <laughs> you've heard the term foodie. You know, we got people identifying today as foodies. Now, a foodie isn't just a person who likes food. A foodie is a person who likes all the things that come with food, like it's an event. 
You know, it is a communal gathering. There's intimacy going on here. So I like that part of the foodie thing. It's, it's actually, uh, even though they probably don't know it, it's, it's reaching back into something that's been lost in our culture. But that's what was happening with the meal. There, there was this communion that was taking place. You see, if you really wanted to enjoy one another and experience a deep bond of friendship with one another, you did it around the table. That's where you did it. And see, this is, this is my point. The new covenant is demonstrated for us and commemorated by this meal. So what is it saying? The new covenant is about intimate, familial, communal relations. That's what it's about. It's about God loving us so much that he wants to He wants to be around us. He wants us to be around him. He wants us to all be gathered around the table. I mean, it's amazing when you think of that. Remember in Revelation where Jesus, he says to the church of Laodicea. Now, remember in Revelation, the first uh, or chapters two and three, you have the letters to the seven churches And Jesus is addressing those churches and he's basically uh, commending them for certain things. He's uh, correcting them with other things. And and to the church of Laodicea, who had pretty much shut Jesus out, remember what he said? He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Why does Jesus say that? I remember as a young Christian uh, getting my first Bible, uh, my first Protestant Bible, um, the King James Version And I remember reading there that if anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. I was like, sup? What is that? (laughs) Well, it's an old way of saying having supper. (laughs) But I will come in and eat. I will come in and we will have a meal. Why does Jesus say that? Because that's what they had lost. They had missed out on the whole point of the covenant. The whole point of the covenant is to have fellowship. The whole point of the covenant is to to live in nearness to God, in community with him, in intimacy. That's the whole point. And now remember, as Jesus says, "I've, I've longed to eat this Passover with you. Why? Because now everything is going to be reversed. Everything is going to go back to the way God intended it. Because, of course, the, the break in the communion happened in the garden. But now that's all going to be undone. And the kind of intimacy that God desired when he created Adam and Eve that had really, to a large degree, been lost 
for all of those ages because of the sin issue, now that's all going to be restored. And that's why Jesus said, I will eat with you. So this is what the God of creation, the God of the Exodus. Now, sometimes this blows my mind. I don't know if you ever have this experience, but sometimes when I'm, I mean, I, I don't know, I might just be doing anything, but it'll just dawn on me that the God that I serve is the God of the Exodus. He's the same God that appeared to Moses at the burning bush. He's the same God that delivered the children of Israel. He's the same God that established the Passover. He is the God of Bethlehem. He is the God of Calvary. Calvary, of course, is the, the place where Jesus died. Golgotha, the Latin translation is Calvary. He is the God of Calvary and of the empty tomb. And he amazingly, astoundingly longs to have fellowship with you and with me. Wow. So do we get that? Are we understanding that? Are we taking advantage of this amazing invitation into this communion with the Lord? Isn't it interesting that when we uh, remember, as we do here monthly, the, um, the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the bread and the cup, what do we call it? We call it communion because that's what it is. That's the, that is the place that God created where he would meet with us now in this intimate fashion. And so let's not forget that. And by all means, let's not neglect that. You know, your Christian life is not I mean, for some people, sadly, the Christian life is just uh, a series of rules. You don't do this and you do do that and you go to church and, you, you know, and, and although, you know, those components exist, that's not the essence of it. The essence of it is you knowing God and God knowing you. And so... May we understand that we are no longer (coughs) under the old covenant. We are new covenant people. We are in the relationship and it's an unbreakable relationship. God said, I'm going to put my law in their mind, in their heart. And in the uh, prophets back in the Old Testament passages, you know what God says? About that, he says, and they will never depart from me again. God seals us in that relationship with him. And now for us, it's just a matter of coming to this table, so to speak. Coming to this place of communion with the Lord Jesus. And and every time, one last thing, when the children of Israel the lamb itself was to be eaten and that was to be their strength. 
So when Jesus talks about this is my body, he's talking about feeding on him. And he even said this in John chapter uh, six. He, he says, he's speaking about his body again. And he says, the one who feeds on me, how do we feed on the Lord? Now, some people um, take a very mystical approach to the, the communion elements. And they say that, well, you feed on Jesus by making sure you get the, the wafer consistently. This is predominantly among Roman Catholics where, you know, you go to the mass so you can partake of the Eucharist because that's how you get strengthened. Well, that, that's a mystical view that I don't think is really exactly what the scripture is talking about. But what the scripture is talking about is we're feeding. We're feeding on Jesus by coming to him, the bread of life, by coming to him, that living word. And as we come to him through his word, and as we meet in fellowship with him through his word, this is where we receive that strengthening. This is where we receive that refreshing. This is where we receive that blessing. And this is where we understand more thoroughly the new covenant, the everlasting covenant that we have been brought into. So Lord, help us to grasp these things. And thank you, Lord, just for the reality that all of these things are connected together from the beginning of time. And as we see how they unfold and as they work themselves out in history, going from the garden to the, the covenant at Sinai, to the deliverance from Egypt before that, and the institution of the Passover to this, this Passover that Jesus longed to eat because it was there that the new covenant would be established. Lord, thank you that we live in that new covenant. Thank you, Lord, that our sins and our lawless deeds are remembered no more. Thank you, Lord, that it's dependent on your faithfulness and not on our faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Faith that believes that you love us, you cleanse us, you desire to commune with us, you have a plan, a purpose, a will for us. And Lord, may we gather with you before the table, so to speak, and have that kind of fellowship that you desire. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord. Amen.